what we call the thought out approach to life. The next stage is in dealing with the events around us in a measured fashion. An example could be a person living in Jerusalem worried about the potential danger that may lie in him traveling on public transport decides to avoid it. Is that a decision which is congruent with the Ratzon Hashem? Or is that dis- a display of a lack of emuna and trying to control life himself and not giving over, surrendering the control of life to the Creator that actually makes him breathe and breathe and move every second of the day? A little bit absurd, but nevertheless, what is the right thing to do? So I refer you to the Ramchal in his famous work, Mesilla Sashayim, chapter 9, where he discusses, interestingly enough, the precise point of the boundaries and the definitions of how far bitochin, faith and trust in Hashem goes. Now, why would you find that in factors which detract from zeal, from enthusiasm, from prioritizing mitzvahs? What's fear got to do with that and bitochin? Says the Ramchal, a fascinating point. One of the things which stops people from prioritizing mitzvahs and getting involved in them, showing enthusiasm, taking them advantage of the opportunities they have, is fear and dread of the world around and the possible dangers that exist within. And he goes on to say, because a person that has fears, so sometimes he'll be too fearful to wake up early in the morning lest he catch a cold and miss his time for learning. Or it'll be too hot, he'll th- he fears that he'll get dehydrated if he goes to shul. <laughs> sometimes he'll say, I can't go learn Torah because there may be a lion upon the way. Which I think is quite a direct comparison to what we're talking about. There may be a lion. There may be. In other words, potential danger may lurk ahead. And therefore, I'll avoid taking that, that path, that train. And in doing so, what happens? Where does he remain? He remains at home. And what does he do at home? He chills. He chills. <laughs> so the Hiddish of the Ramchal is, and he says it explicitly, Um, where does he say it? Um, I can't find it right now, but I'll quote it um, loosely. He says, Do not think that inactivity is a result of fear rather the desire to be inactive creates the fear don't think that fear produces laziness laziness produces fear because there's a crack inside a power a negative energy within that wants us to do nothing but doing nothing without a legitimate excuse is, unforgiven, is unforgivable. So therefore we say, we can't do it because. That because we can't do it. No, I can never go do that. It's way too 
dangerous. I can't go visit the sick lest I become sick myself. I can't daven in that minion because who knows what will happen. There are people there who shockle wildly. I could get seriously hurt. I can't go and learn that shtickle Torah because my brain may overheat. So you may think that these are legitimate reasons, but you see that the result is a person does nothing. So you would have thought that because I'm scared, that's why I do nothing. is mechadesh ramchal because you want to do nothing, you create a fear. So therefore, a person has to go ahead, regardless of his fears. The fears are just an excuse not to do it. Plow ahead into the face of danger without showing a modicum of fear. I look around the room and my eyes meet the eyes of a dubious and doubtful crowd. And as I read their minds, their minds say, but Rabbi, you're just being fanatic. We don't trust you. Now the fact that you don't trust me is no big Hiddush. But the fact that you don't trust the Ramchal is unforgivable. So the Ramchal essentially asks us Kashi. He says, what does that mean? He says, does that mean a person can be reckless? Does that mean a person can be irresponsible? On the contrary, we have many sources in Chazal which say the opposite. Chazal say a person has to guard himself extremely well. As it says, I call a person that everything is in the hand of Hashem, but catching a cold, in other words, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a principle that if a person gets a disease because he put himself in a situation where he was susceptible to getting it, so then, of course, he's going to get sick. He can't say, oh, look at the Ashkocha. <laughs> look at the Ashkocha. I went and I, I, I went in close contact with someone with mumps, and I've got mumps. Wow, it's amazing what Hashem did to me. No, idiot, you did that to yourself. So you see that you have to guard yourself against danger, but on the other hand, you have to be, you have to be courageous in the face of danger. So how do you know where to draw the line? How do you know when you have to have bitochen? And how do you know when you know, when? What's the difference between, as Ramchal says, between bitochen and recklessness? What's called foolish and what's called faith? Or what's called faith and what's called folly? Faith and folly. So that's really the question that Ramchal asks. And he answers by saying the following thing. He, he first of all says even a further point. He says that if a person doesn't show responsibility and he puts himself in a place of danger, he's a sinner. He's doing something which is wrong. Now this is something, a point that we'd have to expand upon a lot. Where does the sin come from? Where does it say in the Torah that you shouldn't go underneath a unstable building? It says, where's the pasuk? It doesn't say it anywhere in the Torah. So there's going to be a big hinge in the Ramchal here about a thought-out approach to life. How really there's a din of seichel. A person's logic, his rational mind, is, creates mitzvahs for him to obey. Where does it say in the Torah that you shouldn't jump off a 10-story building? Do you know where it says it? It says it in the Shulchan Aruch of nature. Shulchan Aruch of Nature says the following halacha. It says, it's also to jump off high buildings, and if you do, the punishment will be splattering. In other words, whenever you see cause and effect in the natural world, it's Hashem's message to you to say, obey. Cause and effect is what I want the natural world to run according to. 
There are many people that completely, in an attempt to be super from, become apikorosim, nebach. And that is because they say, I'm so from, I don't believe in nature. Uh, God does. <gasps> the way we understand the natural world is the natural world runs according to the will of Hashem. The reason why when a person jumps off from a high place and he lands splattered on the ground, it's not because it's inevitable because of nature, it's because that's the way Hashem wants it to work. Hashem could just have easily have made it that if a person jumps off a high building, he can glide gently down to the ground, unscathed. He chose it to be that you'll fall down with a thud. If you go against that, you're going against the will of the Creator. Anytime there's inevitable cause and effect in nature, you are obligated to obey that cause and effect. Because Hashem gave you the seichel to understand the nature of cause and effect, in order that you should use the seichel to derive an entire system whereby you become bound by the laws of nature and obey them sufficiently. So therefore, if that's true, I have to be aware of danger. And not only do I have to be aware of it, if I transgress it and I put myself in a situation of danger, I'm going against the commandment that Hashem tells me to keep. But on the other hand, the Ramchal says that fear is a product of laziness. How do we make these two things stem? How do they go together? So says the Ramchal. Ulam Hashmira Hazois, referring to the prudent guarding of oneself. Zois Hagiram, you said this, and this affair is appropriate. Why? Because it's based on Hanhagat Hachochma Vahaseichel. It has to make sense. If there's a real danger, a danger which is prevalent, which is found, which is something to be fearful because in a reality, in a real world, when you ask an expert, he'll say, there is dangerous. There are certain beaches where there's a tremendously strong undercurrent. It's objectively dangerous. There are other beaches where there's not. But it could be that a random shark may migrate from Cuba and swallow you up. Don't go swimming. That's irrational. The difference is between rational fear and irrational fear or the way that you'd call it in the modern psychological parlance is fear and anxiety fear is when there's a real threat if you don't avoid a real threat you're not a human being you're an idiot anxiety is when there's no real threat at all but you imagine that it could be if this happens and i'm not going to walk across that bridge because who knows maybe an earthquake could happen Maybe it could. Maybe it could. There's no real threat. But you imagine it could. Maybe if I walk underneath that house, the entire thing could collapse because perhaps the engineer, when he's putting in the plans and then combined with the builder, didn't put enough in his mixture of cement. Uh, uh, uh. So the way that Amchal says it is beautifully. He says, um, whenever there's a real threat, you have to beware. When there's no real threat, but when the damage is not well known, meaning there's no real threat, it's not prevalent, there's no real damage, then you're not allowed to be scared. 
in an area where there's a real threat, you have to be scared. In an area where there's no real threat, you're not allowed to be scared. Do you understand? A negative part, a, a weakness, a threat that you don't see, you don't assume it's there. But that sounds like it could be very kind of braveting going on bashes in Jerusalem. Because it's like, don't think that there's a lion that's going to come and eat you that's migrated from Africa and like a whole stick. But if there's a kind of reasonable chance, you know, if it's like a well-known that these things can happen, then maybe you can. In other words, you have to know. So no, no, it's not statistics. In other words, you have to know what a real threat is. A real threat isn't if you think about it. A real threat is let's say a threat of bodily harm. So I think I don't is there is there a known threat in this particular area? In other words, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people use public transport. Let's say in the course of the last month, there's probably been hundreds. Hey, now you're using statistics. No, no, no. But I'm just using not not as a statistic, but as an overview of the situation. There's been people on public transport throughout Israel, hundreds and thousands, probably millions of people, and there's been no threat prevalent. There's been no, there's no, there's certainly no danger. There's been no, there's been no events which indicate a nece- necessity for caution. So therefore, for a person to avoid doing something because of that uh, is irrational. That's anxiety. That's not fear. We're talking about okay, so yeah, I mean that's like obvious now. But let's say we're talking about five years ago when there was thirty people once a week being blown up. I don't know. I've got, I don't know what so it was. so then you have to know halachically how to how to describe it. You know, if it's called what's called a mokum sakana, a place of danger. So not because statistically, because there's a danger in that place. You know there's a danger. So then you have to avoid it. If there's no known danger, you don't have to avoid it because a danger could possibly come. Now exactly how to define a known danger, so it depends on the particular situation. But the point is that a known danger can always be defined by someone other than yourself. If you leave it up to your own self-definition, so then you could fall into the trap of irrational thought, anxiety and laziness. But it's an interesting thought that anxiety is a product of atlas. Because it, essentially what anxiety does is it cripples a person. It keeps him at home. In, in tragic cases when people suffer from anxiety, so often they, they, can't leave their, they can't leave a room. Sometimes they can't leave a house. Because of all the fears that are accompanied with anything could happen. And the minute your mind works on that, on that system of anything could happen, so anything could happen at any point in time, you, you become frozen, totally frozen. Fascinating. Um, there's a great line in the in the Mrs. Shoim. Where he says, um, Halamadata, behold you've learned Shaina Yira Goremas Shis Atsel. It's not that fear causes you to become lazy. Yore. Rather, the atlus causes you to be fearful. And all these matters, daily experience testifies. In other words, look around the world. Yes. Kitsa. That's what the Ramchal says.
And in case like the train, right? Like, where nothing's happened yet, thank God. But let's say you you've looked at the train, you say there's no security on the train. You know, it's just anyone. So it's a potential security kind of thing. Like you have you have to wait until something God forbid happens, and then you could say, oh, this is a makam sakana, or can you define it beforehand and say, oh, this is a place of potential sakana, and maybe I should avoid it. I'm saying, so, uh, I'm so, so I'm just saying maybe. So look at the lotion. Uh, let's go. I'll uh, answer your question. Let's, let's quote another line of uh, Ramchal. You should hide from the evil that you see, the, the, the danger that you see. And then he says a great line. Not from that it could be that may be possible that it could come. <laughs> to understand? That's like the classical expression of anxiety. Not something that it could be possible that it may happen that it could come. Um, so in the case of the train, you have to say as follows: Look, there's no you say there's no security, and there's Arabs travelling on it, and therefore, you know, there's potentially a danger. Um, but then you have to think that you're not the only person concerned about the safety of the citizens in Jerusalem. There's an entire infrastructure of of security people, and therefore, I would say that if the authorities are happy with that system, there are certain points, there are certain security, they've done kilish dadlus in terms of their security, they feel that there's no real threat and you're assuming that they also have intelligence and that they're not just like, they're not being irresponsible, so therefore, so therefore I'd say that there's no legitimate reason to avoid going on the trains. Warnings and things happen. So therefore... In this case too, you could take the bus or you could take a cab. We were talking before, like, you're not going to go. Right. Correct. So here, let's say you're going to go. You're going to go either way, but... So that's interesting. What happens when the the yira, the fear of the situation, doesn't cause you bitl Torah and bitl avoida? Doesn't, it doesn't affect, as it were, your, your... Is there still something wrong? So I say there's still something wrong because it's... it's, it's you know, the classic example is if you have a person that needs to get to the entrance to a house and there's two paths to go right. and the one path goes directly to the house and the other path goes past a tree and he imagines there may be someone standing behind the tree so which path should he go on? So you definitely go on the path where he imagines there's someone standing behind the tree so he can show himself that that's just a fiction of his imagination so there's something negative about a person living with fictions of imagination it's, it's, not, healthy, it's not a healthy state to be good? Okay, so let's let's just retrace our steps and think about. Good. Maybe we're not long enough. So let's retrace our steps, and you see again the focus over here, and this is what we're really trying to bring out in this series, and that is that a person when engaging in Judaism often falls into a trap of thinking now that I'm subscribing to Torah Mitzvahs it's, I have the right to stop thinking I, can't, I shouldn't engage my Seichel any longer because now I just have to follow orders from somewhere and therefore I don't have to think because everything's kind of cut and dried I just want to dispel that it's a completely false notion that on the contrary now is when you have to start thinking because now what you have to do is you have to incorporate a whole new system of as it were, for want of a better expression, playing the game of life with a whole new level of complexity. You can't just go as you choose. 
you have to know how to negotiate it and any given situation there are a variety of different variables which have to be taken into consideration processed and then decision to be made so essentially when a person gets close to Torah all that happens is his mechanism of choice becomes way more sophisticated because the variables given at any particular juncture are now much greater are now much more elevated they're more lofty Previously, a person, when examining should he eat this food or not, it was purely based on taste. Now it's based on spiritual concerns of kashus, of the control of his appetite to eat, about how it's going to affect other people if he eats the last schnitzel on the bowl. So what happens is, not does Torah take away your cognitive ability, it enhances it and demands that you enhance it. And that's also true in your relation to the world around you, even from a basic rational perspective, that since we're living in a world where there's cause and effect, since we have a mind which can grasp the nature of cause and effect, so the world around us also becomes our teacher. Our teacher and our instructor as to what is appropriate and inappropriate. And just like the Torah spells out the rules of the spiritual world, Nature spells out the world, the rules of the natural world. And just like the rules of the spiritual world were given to us by the giver of the Torah, the Rebbeinu Shalom himself, so to the laws of nature were given to us through the Rebbeinu Shalom himself. And therefore it comes out that there's really two, as it were, Torahs and two Mount Sinai's. There's a Mount Sinai of Sinai where we were given Torah and there's a Mount Sinai of Teva of nature which is also the way Akash communicates his desire to us he communicates his desire to us in the areas which we can't grasp through our senses and our natural intellect that's called Torah and then he communicates to us through nature and he says to us do not go out in the cold because you'll catch a cold he says just protect yourself make yourselves closed and it goes even into the nuances of social engagement since you know that if you say these words to this person and cause and effect, it's going to offend him, restrict yourself from doing so. Even if there's no mitzvah involved. You're talking about someone which is, he tells you an entire range of alochas. He teaches you about the way the natural world, he teaches you about growth through a tree. How did Avram Avinu come to the conclusion? How did he see the Creator? He looked at a tree. He saw a tree. He saw a tree growing. In the winter, the leaves fell because you needed not the shade that the tree would give in the summer there was leaves so you could have the shade of the tree the fruit when being ripe enough that the person eating it would get the ultimate pleasure fell from the tree so you don't even have to extend yourself to pluck it so he looked at the tree and he learned out rules of chesed how to extend kindness to someone else he learned it from a tree if your eyes are open you can learn the lessons of life from the world around you. And that's what we have to do. We have to have our eyes open and our minds open to engage in a thoughtful approach to life. Are you following me, Rabbi Okay. Maybe we'll...